Right, if you have a copy of the Word in some form, turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to ponder the reality of the resurrection this morning and um, as a follow-up to uh, the message from the Good Friday gathering that we had at the park um, Friday night. The resurrection preceded by the crucifixion is good for us. It is good for us. It is good for those of us who believe. And as terrible and dreadful as the event of the crucifixion was, we rejoice because we know that there was not a definitive period in the story as Jesus breathed his last, as we'll see in a minute. But there was an ellipsis more at the end of the story where it's a, to be continued. We know that Jesus actually said, they'll kill me, but I'm not going to stay dead. I'm coming out of the grave three days later. And the resurrection event that we celebrate today is the single most impactful and influential event in all of human history. More so than... Christmas or any country's founding Independence Day or any other holiday you want to add to the conversation. And so let's think about for a moment the events that led up to the resurrection. The Son of God became a man so he could die as a sacrifice for the sins of man. Those past sins, present sins, and even the future sins. As a man, he was born into a sinful world and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived exactly the kind of life you and I could never live. And during his ministry, during his time on earth, as he was honoring his father publicly, he performed all kinds of miracles, all kinds of good deeds. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he raised the dead, he healed the lame. He was the best teacher the world had ever known. No one could withstand the authority of his preaching and his teaching. Interestingly, his subject matter, in one way or another, always revolved around one thing, or more appropriately, one person, himself. He spurned the religious system of his day while grieving over those in bondage to that system. A religious system that required men and women to do certain things and to not do certain things in order to be accepted by God. The system's basis was to gain favor with God. This system had perfected self-righteous legalism. Jesus came proclaiming a true and better system, the gospel of grace. <laughs> and his system clearly declared you can't do enough to be accepted by God. God demands perfection, and you'll never attain it. And so God attained that perfection on your behalf. And so Jesus would say that's why he came. He came to be the perfection that you and I never could be. And so rather than legalistic self-righteousness, he declared grace. He declared mercy. He was kind. He was loving. He didn't lessen the law's demands, however. He actually fulfilled them perfectly, obeyed them in every way. He fulfilled them perfectly because you and I could not, no matter how hard we tried. And so the religious leaders of his day had enough, and they had him killed. He died the most agonizing death any human being could ever know. He suffered the horrors and the torment of Roman crucifixion, 
But he also experienced the deepest agony, being forsaken by God as he bore the cup of God's wrath that was reserved for us. My sin, your sin, the penalty of that sin poured out on this perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And during his time on that cross, Jesus willingly received this penalty that was due to you and due to me because of our sin. And Hebrews tells us that he actually endured it with joy. Why? Because he knew that death was not the end. He knew Good Friday was not the end. He knew Resurrection Sunday was coming. He knew the way was being made for us to have a beautiful and right and perfect relationship with God. And Jesus knew he was accomplishing everything necessary for us to be forgiven and for us to be reconciled to God. You see, he knew Good Friday was not the end. He knew Resurrection Sunday was coming. And so let's look at Matthew 28. We'll look at the first nine verses of Matthew 28 and then back up and look at some other texts as we consider reminders of the resurrection. Friday, we, at our Good Friday service, we looked at reminders of Good Friday, and this morning we'll look at reminders of the resurrection. So Matthew 28 and verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are seeking Jesus Christ, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. What a moment. Just stop and ponder the reality of that moment. He's not where he's supposed to be. And then he greets them. The risen Lord. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray. Father, by your grace and for your glory, help us to see again the reality of the resurrection. Help us to embrace the, the victory that is ours through our resurrected Christ. Help us to, to realize, to remember all that Christ has accomplished in the events of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And Father, for the person who has not embraced the resurrection, has not embraced Good Friday, has not repented of their sins and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, Lord, by your grace, would you save them today? Would you call them into your family, name them as your son, name them as your daughter? And we'll rejoice in that. Father, you are good, and we thank you for resurrection. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Two reminders of resurrection from this text and then others that we'll consider. Reminder number one, Jesus died so we wouldn't have to die. Jesus died so we wouldn't have to die. Think back, rewind just a couple days to Good Friday. Good Friday was completely and absolutely necessary because our sin required death. We were and we are insufficient to make payment for our sins, so Jesus had to die. 
He had to be the atonement. Our sin made the cross a necessity. And death was the required payment for our debt of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And so let's ask the question, where did Good Friday's cross, where did the event of the crucifixion leave Jesus? The event of the crucifixion left Jesus dead, completely dead. He died that death that was reserved for us. All four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record Jesus actually dying in the event of the crucifixion. Matthew 27, 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Mark 15, 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Luke 23, 46, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. John 19, 30, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And this cry of it is finished, Jesus declares more than that his life on earth is finished. He is declaring that his atoning work for sinners is finished. And so his death justifies us and his death saves us from God's wrath, Romans chapter 5. We've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You see, the reminder of Good Friday is that we can add nothing to the death that Jesus provides for us. We can add nothing because Jesus' atoning sacrifice was complete, absolutely sufficient, lacking in nothing. Everything necessary for us to be made right with God, for us to be reconciled with God, was accomplished in the event of the crucifixion. There's nothing more for us to add. And so there are a couple pre-resurrection events before we get to our text here in Matthew 28 that are important for us to, to understand because the question comes... Things like, okay, did Jesus really die? Well, we just see four different accounts who said the same thing. He was dead. Was he really placed into a tomb? How did he come out of that tomb? And so one pre-resurrection event was that Jesus died and he was placed in a real grave. He died and he was placed in a real grave. If you're there in Matthew 28, just go back a few verses to Matthew 27 and verse 57. Jesus died and was placed in a real grave. Matthew 27, 57. Jesus has died at this point. And so then we... We're introduced to a new guy, Joseph of Arimathea. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it on his, new, laid it on his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. So we have eyewitness testimony to Jesus' body actually was placed in a tomb and secured in that tomb. So this gentleman, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a just man, according to Luke's account, and he didn't agree with the religious council's decision to kill Jesus. And so he goes and takes the body of Jesus, asks for the body of Jesus. And so Jesus died and was placed in a real grave, but there's something to, to, important to remember here. With his atoning work complete, His burial was only temporary. There was just a brief reservation that was there in the tomb for the body of the Lord Jesus. Because Good Friday gives way to Resurrection Sunday. And so Jesus died and was placed in a real grave. And then to continue the storyline to the next section of the text there in Matthew 27, the tomb was actually secured by an armed guard. So look at verse 62 of Matthew 27. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days I will rise. So here's, here's kind of the backstory there. The Pharisees 
the chief priests, they were responsible for the death of Christ. We were responsible for the death of Christ. They were the active agents in making that happen. And so to try to quell any possibility of any prophetic word from this man, Jesus Christ, being fulfilled, they go to Pilate and come up with a plan. And so therefore, verse 64, they tell Pilate, Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So you get, you get the idea of what they're trying to do here. They're trying to prevent any of Jesus' followers coming and actually taking him from the tomb and then going around and saying, Hey, he's not there, he has risen. And so Pilate says, fine, you have guards of soldiers. You have temple police, that's who he's referring to. Go make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so the religious leader's greatest fear was that maybe some of what Jesus said could actually come true. Or maybe some of his disciples will come and take his body and then there will be more deception on top of deception. And so let's pre- present, prevent any possibility of what he said coming true. And then there's this, there's this interesting phrase in verse 65. Pilate's response to the chief priests and the Pharisees, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. Like, just, just ponder that reality for a second. The one who created the rock out of which the tomb was shaped is placed into that tomb. And Pilate and the chief priests and the Pharisees are saying, hey, let's do all we can to keep him in that tomb. And Pilate's words are almost kind of prophetic here, where he says, make it as secure as you can. As secure as you possibly know how to make it, make it. There's a bit of humor here. And the fact that there is no stone that's going to keep him, there's no guard that's going to keep him, He created the guards. He created the stone. He created whatever they made this seal out of. And so this this tomb that Jesus was placed in was secured by this armed guard. So the story there at the end of verse 66, we see Jesus dead. We see him dead in the tomb. We see him dead as the one who died the death reserved for us so we wouldn't have to die that death. And we know that through this death, Our sins can be forgiven and we can be reconciled with God and we can be justified before God. But he's dead. And so Jesus died so we wouldn't have to die. Second reminder of Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus rose so that we could live. Jesus died so we wouldn't have to die, but also Jesus rose so we could live. So Jesus died and was put in a grave. The women show up, chapter 28, on Sunday morning to take care of his body. We find that from the other gospel accounts. They get to the tomb and they see the stone is rolled away. They look in and they don't see Jesus. And so these these ladies show up and and a few of the startling discoveries that they make along with some of the disciples later. They find first the stone is rolled away, verse 2 there. Angel descended and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The stone, to be clear, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could leave the tomb. The stone was rolled away so his followers could look inside the tomb. And see that he was already gone. He was not in there. He didn't need the stone to be moved to come out of the grave. You read the post-resurrection accounts that are coming following. He's passing through walls and stuff. Right? Like, he's Lord over all of matter. 
And so the nails didn't keep Jesus on the cross and a stone didn't keep Jesus in the grave. It's fully in control of this whole crucifixion and resurrection event. And so they find that the stone was rolled away. They also find that the tomb is empty. And so in their confusion, when they look in, they don't see Jesus. They're expecting to see what? A body. A body wrapped in grave clothes. They come bringing spices to, to anoint the body for its decomposition is what they're showing up for. And John 20 records and says, She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So they show up, and the ladies, they show up, they don't see Jesus in there, and they're thinking, Somebody's done stole Jesus. Somebody has taken our Lord. And so they go and they report it to the disciples who are in hiding at this point. Another thing that they found when they showed up at the tomb is that the grave clothes were arranged and the face cloth was neatly folded, indicating this was perfectly in order. This was not some struggle that happened. John 20, verses 5 through 7, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up on a place by itself. So Jesus was in the grave, he was in a borrowed grave, and he was only going to stay there temporarily. So after three days, he rose to life again. You see, Jesus is no longer hanging on a cross. Jesus is also no longer in the grave. Jesus is now seated on his throne. And this resurrection event is the central point of Christianity. So let's let's ask the question, why is the resurrection so important? Why is the resurrection so important? Through the resurrection, we have, Romans 5.10, complete salvation. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. We shall be saved by His life. And so consider consider what, what the resurrection means for the Christian. Now listen, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Christ, listen up. You need to listen, you need to pay attention. And I don't care if you've been in church all your life or it's your first time. If you don't know Christ, listen. This is what the resurrection means for the Christian. The resurrection means we can trust the one who turns death into life. We can trust the one who turns death into life. Hebrews 2.14, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the one thing that we fear in life? We fear death. What do we try to avoid at all costs? Death. Sometimes in extreme ways. We fear death, but because of the resurrection, we can trust the one who actually turns death into life. So we can trust the one who turns death into life. Also, the resurrection means we can trust the one who turns defeat into victory. We can trust the one who turns defeat into victory. Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is God's ultimate victory over the pain and heartache of this world. Satan and all the forces of evil thought they had won. Just imagine. Just imagine. In the demonic realm, the celebration that was going on when Jesus breathed his last. And then just imagine the sheer horror in that same demonic realm as there's a glimmer in the tomb. Oh, wait. He was dead, but he's not. But also imagine 
the crazy party as the angels are peering down into the events of the world and mourning the death of the Son of God and then on Resurrection Sunday seeing, wait, I think that's Him. Turning defeat into victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That's New Testament language for bring it. Because there is no death for us. There is no death. Physical death for us as Christians just means we become more alive in Christ. We become completely alive in Christ. There is no defeat for us. There is only victory. And even the death of Jesus was victory. Like we think about the crucifixion and and we just think, man, what a terrible defeat. What What an epic defeat. But we have to remember, Jesus died on purpose. Jesus willingly died. He controlled all the events surrounding his own death. And he willingly submitted to all of it for victory. We can trust the one who, turn, who turns defeat into victory. Also, we can trust the one who turns sorrow into joy. We can trust the one who turns sorrow into joy. So just imagine for a moment what it must have been like to be among the number of the disciples. Right? You had given your life to this one. You had seen him raise people from the dead. You saw him feed multitudes. You saw blind people start to see. You saw lame people start to walk. You have heard this teaching and expounding of the Old Testament law in a way that's resonated with your heart, and all of a sudden, he's gone. He's gone. There's no other way to describe that than sorrow. And we can add confusion and mystery and a lot of different other words there, but sorrow. But Resurrection Sunday reminds us that we can trust the one who turns sorrow into joy. In fact, Jesus predicted for his disciples that they were going to experience deep sorrow in this event, in the event of the crucifixion. John 16, verse 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? So he's, he's told them, a little while you're not going to see me. In other words, I'm going to die. And then a little while longer, and you're going to see me. In other words, I'm not going to be dead anymore. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So think about the event of the crucifixion. Like, What's the chant that's going on around that whole event? Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The whole world is screaming for the crucifixion of Christ. He says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And Listen to this last phrase Jesus makes to them. And no one will take your joy from you. Why? Because the source of your joy, disciples, is the resurrected Lord that you will see when He comes out of the grave. Church, the source of our joy is the resurrected Lord that we worship today. And so we can trust the one who turns sorrow into joy. And so these closest followers of Jesus in the middle of depression and confusion and mourning, dismayed, the event of the resurrection undergirds them with not sorrow, but joy 
And joy that no one can take away from them. No one will take your joy away from you, Jesus told them. This joy is unrelenting. It overwhelms us with the glory and the beauty of God. This isn't the kind of joy that the world offers. This is God's joy. This is true joy. And we have this joy, church, because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we have this joy. Not only do we have this joy, but we also, because of the resurrection, we have hope. We have hope. We have hope that this world is not all that there is. Friends, the the heartache, the pain, the struggles, the challenge of this life, they will eventually pass. We have hope that this world is not all that there is. There is coming a day when the pain, the fear, the shame, the greed, hurt, and all that is wrong with this world will be gone. Because of the resurrection. Because the tomb is empty. Because Christ came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And now, we have resurrection life. You see, the resurrection is not just something that's reserved for us for eternity when We switch from this life to that life. Resurrection life is for us now. Resurrection life is ours now. Resurrection power is ours now. And resurrection life, resurrection power, are things we should not just hold to, remember, and celebrate on Easter Sunday. Resurrection life has to impact the way we do life every day. Every day. There's not a day that goes by that we are devoid of resurrection power. God is not saying, okay, for Monday I'm going to give you enough, but Tuesday I'm going to draw back a little bit. Resurrection life, resurrection power are ours. Tim Keller put it this way, Christ's resurrection not only gives you hope for a future, it gives you hope to handle your scars now. You see, think about the disciples. The disciples there in the middle of a myriad of emotions. Like just across the board, most of which were not good. In the, in the time between crucifixion and resurrection, the thoughts that they had to experience, the conversations that they had to have. And oftentimes, I get it, we're not in crucifixion, resurrection, intermediate period, but life sometimes seems similar to an extent. We're confused, we're dismayed, we're pressed down, we're mournful, we're, we're, we have all of these myriads of emotions. And maybe similar to the ladies who come to the tomb, we become fearful, we become scared, confused. And what pushes into that situation in our lives? The resurrection. The resurrection. You see, in the resurrection of Christ, God has afforded us as the church the privilege to walk in victory in every area of life. In the resurrection of Christ and holding to the resurrection of Christ, God has given us the glorious privilege to walk in victory in every area of life. Now look, you may be saying, Richard, that's easy for you to say. You don't know where I am. I'm just reading the Bible and I see disciples whose Emotional state was across the board. And Jesus comes, appears to them in his resurrected body like real person. They touched him. They ate with him. And then I see those same men and women at the end of the gospel accounts being used by God 
to do some crazy things that shape the course of the world as you see the church begin to unfold in Acts. What makes the difference? The resurrection. The resurrection. And so what do we do? We trust in the completed work of the cross and the resurrection. So two questions. First to Christians. Brother or sister. This morning, do you truly need to be reminded of the reality of the resurrection? Let's just be honest. It's confessional. Too often we go through days without any reality of resurrection. We just blow through days. We do things because we know how to do them. We go places because we know how to go there without any reality of resurrection. But Resurrection Sunday reminds us that it's because of the resurrection that we live for Christ in all situations, in all avenues of life. And so, quite possibly for you, brother or sister, today's a simple gospel-centric reminder of the resurrection power that is ours in Christ. Second question, for those of you who don't know Christ, who have not repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, what was required for these brothers and sisters to hold to the resurrection? To simply believe. To simply believe. Not do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, but to believe. And so what do you need to do? You need to repent of your sin and believe on the resurrected Lord Jesus. Trust in the completed work of the cross on your behalf. Your sin has been paid for. Completely and entirely. Not 90-something percent, 100%. And even the aspects of sin in your life that you aren't even aware of, Christ paid for. His atoning sacrifice is completely sufficient for you to be redeemed. So what do you do? You repent of that sin and you believe on the Lord Jesus. Your confession is simply, Lord, I believe. Trust in the resurrected Lord. Trust in His work of the cross on your behalf. And believe and live in resurrection power. Where there is no fear, there is no shame, there is no guilt. Those things are gone. Those things are gone. We're going to celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection by taking the Lord's Supper together, taking communion together. And we're going to do it a little, a little differently uh, this morning, maybe a little more um, somber than, than we would typically uh, take this. And so on the table here to my right... Um, you see juice and you see bread representing the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. A few words of instruction. Uh, this is um, an observance of the local church that uh, is reserved for Christians. And so if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, if there's any question, then we encourage you to sit back and watch and just observe what it looks like to observe the gospel in the Lord's Supper. And so no judgment is going to be cast your way. All right. So don't worry about like people are going to be looking at me. Forget all that. Just watch. Um, Another in accordance to first Corinthians 11. If there's a reality in your life that as a Christian doesn't give you freedom to take the Lord's Supper right now, then don't do it. Sit back and watch. Pray. Repent of sin. Whatever needs to happen. 
and uh, typically we'll uh, be playing music. We'll take this together at kind of as family units. Um, but what we're going to do uh, this morning as a church body, as a, fam- as a larger family, um, is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take just a few minutes. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be awkward, and we have youngsters. That's okay, mamas and daddies. Uh, that's right. Um, and you're free to pray as, as a family, as an individual, uh, but then just come and grab a piece of bread, grab a cup of juice, and just go back to your seat and just sit for a minute. And then I'm going to read through Scripture, and we're going to take this together. All right? Um, so that's, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to sing and celebrate the resurrection together. So uh, let's pray. And then in awkward quietness, I get it. Um, just come and get the elements. Take some time maybe to pray where you are, and then we'll observe the Lord's Supper together. Father in heaven, Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that the crucifixion um, is absolutely sufficient and also was not the end of the story for the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection through communion as the body of Christ together, Lord, convict us where conviction is necessary. Help us to see areas of sin in our lives. Father, give us Give us freedom to celebrate this expression of the gospel as the church. Lord, give freedom for for men and women to refrain. And Father, may even for moms and dads with youngsters, Lord, may this be an opportunity for, for us as parents to demonstrate the gospel and to answer questions from children who maybe just want a piece of bread, want a taste of juice. And Lord, may you use this as a, as a way in which you draw them into your kingdom. Father, we love you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that Joseph of Arimathea's tomb does not hold the body of Jesus anymore. We love you, God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.